Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is January 2021. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. It is January. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying it to remind myself, but that also means um, that hopefully you have a copy of the Lutheran Witness. If you haven't gotten it yet, it should be on its way to you. Uh, so you want to pull that out because we're going to take a look at searching the scriptures here in just a moment in the the January issue of the Lutheran Witness. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. It is time to dig into searching the scriptures with the Reverend Roy Askins, Managing Editor of the Lutheran Witness. Pastor Askins, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Thank you, Andy and Sarah. It's good to be here. Uh, January issue, lots of uh, good catechesis in this issue this month and uh what how would you describe the i have an idea of what i think the theme is but what would you say the theme is of the january issue so the theme of the january issue is chaste and decent life and we're talking about uh, six commandment issues all throughout the issue um, with an eye toward really reflecting on our own sins i mean it's real easy to point out other people's sins when it comes to sixth commandment uh, we Lutherans seem to be good about that, uh, but I think we also need to spend some time reflecting on our own sins against the Sixth Commandment, confessing and repenting of those as well. And so we hoped uh, to, to do a little bit of that, but then also to equip our readers with the tools they need to face some of these challenges regarding you know, homosexuality, transgenderism, um, you know, uh, sins of fornication and promiscuity. How do we speak to the culture um, while also acknowledging our own sinfulness? How do we speak to the culture and, and witness to what God has said? In his word about such things. So this month, it's a it's a new year for the Lutheran Witness as well. Is there a special theme happening this year with the searching the scriptures uh, segments in these magazines? Yes. So for the rest of this year, we are going to be working through the Apostles' Creed. As Lutherans, we say this this creed regularly. So what we have done is we have gone through and broken up the Apostles' Creed into eleven sections. And each search in the scripture will go through basically phrase by phrase these portions of the Apostles' Creed and show our readers uh, where in the scriptures these passages come from. And this is really exciting. Something a lot of times when we say these things over and over, uh, they're, they're ingrained in us, but almost to a certain extent that we don't always really fully uh, realize what we're saying or understand what we're saying. So this is this is really exciting for the next year to be to be digging into the Apostles' Creed. So so we don't run out of time. Let's dig in uh, to <laughs> question number one, because we always run out of time. Uh, yes. Question number one, we're looking at two words here. I believe. Read Romans 10, 8 through 17. What do we mean when we say, I believe? What other word does St. Paul use in Romans to explain belief? And how does that word relate to the Apostles' Creed? So, Pastor, what does Romans 10, 8 to 17 say? Romans 10. Uh, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So that's the passage from Romans chapter 10. And what we're really hoping to get to is um, what does it mean to say the words, I believe, right? What is belief? And I think we have to be clear to say that belief is not simply intellectual assent. It's not simply accepting the facts of Jesus' life as though uh, faith are simply saying, yep, I believe Jesus lived. Because uh, even the demons accept the fact that Jesus lived uh, here on earth, uh, that he that God exists, right? They actually believe that God exists. But that's not the same for us as the people of God. Uh, this belief is also a trust in co- and confidence in Jesus Christ uh, for the forgiveness of our sins. And as we'll get into later in the Apostles' Creed, this is not a self-generated confidence, faith, trust in Jesus, uh, but is in fact something that's given by the Holy Spirit. Now, the other word that St. Paul uses here in Romans to describe belief is uh, confess or confession. And this is a combination of two Greek words. Well, it's one Greek word that actually combines two Greek words. And those are homoios and lego, which mean homoios means similar and lego means to say. So to say similar things, uh, that's that's one uh, understanding of this word confession. It also means to acknowledge, right? So we say these things together, we confess them together as the people of God, and we acknowledge uh, what it is that we're confessing when we say these things. And it also, what's fascinating here is when we translate this or use this word in English, we have a co- two different meanings oftentimes uh, when we when we use this word. We confess the creed, that is, we say together what the creed says, but then we confess our sins. So this idea of saying, I believe in God, has in it also the idea that I recognize my own sinfulness, that merely by confessing God exists, I am also confessing that I am a sinner before God. Uh, and that I need his mercy and forgiveness. So this is not merely, once again, intellectual assent that God is out there, that Jesus came to suffer and die. It's not mere uh, statement of facts, but it's also a trust and confidence in Jesus that he came to deal with my confession of sins, even as I confess him as God. Now, what does this all have to do with the Apostles' Creed? Well, the the Apostles' Creed, uh, creed is actually the Latin word credo to, to say, I believe, right? So this Apostles' Confession is a summation of, of uh, what we believe about God, what we say together about God. That's how all of this ties together. Uh, belief, creed, confession, all of these are saying a similar word. So we're ready to move on to question two. Yeah, I think we all can right. move on to question two. So the next part of the creed, I believe, in God. Uh, So we're going to take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. God is one. How does God reveal himself to us? Uh, Then we're going to take a look at Matthew in just a little bit as well. Let's start with Deuteronomy. You packed so many into question two here. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. I I was actually working through this, and I was like, man, there's like too many questions here. There's only three lines. How are we going to... But I want to make sure, you know, I want to make sure pastors can use this in Bible class for a good hour, right? I I think I give them enough uh, Bible verses to work through here. So So, uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one through nine, this is the, uh, the great Shema. That's Mm -hmm. the, um, the, uh, from the Hebrew phrase Shema, uh, actually verse four, Uh, Shema is the Hebrew word to hear. Uh, And so this is actually a very key passage for uh, the Hebrew, the Hebrew people and the Jewish people even yet today. So here's the passage. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, 
by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And then here's the great Shema, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lay down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So the 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 thrust of this passage is a confession of God as one. He is, uh, there is one God, right? Uh, and this is something uh, that we Christians continue to confess. Uh, we speak about God as one God in three persons, and the teaching that God is one comes here from this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we learn about this by his revelation of himself in Scripture. I mean, even here already in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God's making it very clear how the people of God are to uh, learn about him and know him. And they are to do this through the word that he gives to them. And I love how he talks about what they're to do this with his word, right? He commands these words, they are to be on your heart, right? They are to be memorized so that it's like they're, they're written uh, and printed on your heart. For the, the, the Hebrew people at the time, the heart was the center of thought. Uh, for us, you know, we think of the mind, the brain is the center of thought. For them, it was the heart that was the center of thought. So if the word of God was in your mind, in your heart, you had it memorized, uh, that's that all that goes together. But then you're also to teach them diligently to your children, to talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, whatever you're doing, you're talking about and thinking about this word of God. And as a quick preview here for the Lutheran Witness, this is what the uh, February issue of the Lutheran Witness is all about, return to the word. It's going to be a great issue. If you don't have a subscription, uh, cph.org slash witness, go get one now. <laughs> uh, but this is how God reveals himself to us in his word. All right. So... So shall we go on to Matthew 28 before sure. or anything else? before? Yeah, we can, we can. let's go on to Matthew 28. And here is where we then get the revelation of God in three persons. So Matthew chapter 28, uh, many people know this passage. Go therefore, Jesus says to the disciples. Actually, he doesn't say go therefore. He says, while you are going, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here we have in this passage, and you'll also see if you're doing the Bible study, 1 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 13, similar references where we have the confession that God is one. In fact, 1 Corinthians 8, we talk about God as one person, but then also his revelation of himself as the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, as Christians, what we've chosen to do is we understand and and talk about how God has revealed himself in these three persons. We break this down in the three articles of the creed. So right now we are confessing the first article of the creed, God the Father. Uh, we typically uh, categorize this first creed as the, the art or this article as the article of creation, God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, which we're going to get to here in a minute. The second article is about Jesus Christ, the Son, uh, and his work as a redeemer. And then the third article of the creed is about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and his work as a sanctifier, as the one who delivers what the Son won for us on the cross. So that's how these three persons of the creed correlate to this one God and then the three articles of the creed. First Corinthians? Should we go there? First Corinthians um, and Second Corinthians? Or we can, are... let's uh yeah, we can I'll go ahead and do that. We'll we'll talk okay. about these briefly. First Corinthians chapter eight, verses four through six. Uh, this is St. Paul talking about uh, food offered to idols. He says, therefore, 
as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no existence and that there is no God but one, right? So we have this confession here, no God but one. And then he continues, for all there, there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So once again, you have even Paul here confessing that there is one God in two persons as Father and as Son, uh, the Father and then Jesus Christ. So uh, once again, similar sort of thing that we saw in Matthew chapter 28. All right, we are, we're about, oh, maybe halfway through. So let's take a quick pause and we'll be back in just a moment. We're continuing our study of searching the scriptures with the managing editor of the Lutheran Witness, the Reverend Roy Askins. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Goldseth. We're studying, uh, we're in searching the scriptures in the January issue of The Lutheran Witness with the Reverend Roy Askins, managing editor of The Lutheran Witness. And uh, we're, we're getting creedal. We're, we're, we're digging into the, the creed <laughs> this time. And uh, so uh, shall we go on to question three? I think that's perfect. All right. So in, in here we're looking at the phrase, the Father Almighty, and uh, we're going to go to John three sixteen. <laughs> this is a well-known passage loved by yes. many people. Yes. Uh, so John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, and so the question here is, uh, who sends his Son? The, one of the uh, things we know, what, what we only know about God, what he has revealed to him, uh, revealed to us about himself. And what he reveals to us about himself is that he is one God, three persons, and these three persons exist in a relationship with each other. This is one of the fundamental things we know about God. He exists Father uh, as Son, and he's, the Father sends his Son, and uh, they together exist with the Holy Spirit in this relationship, uh, the three of them. So God is the one who sends his Son uh, into the world. And in this revelation, he reveals that they are in relationship and that also we are to be in relationship with them as well. Uh, this is, we're going to get to more of this in, in the next question with God creating mankind and what this means. But this idea of relationship, the Father and the Son in relationship to each other is very important. And I think this leads us into the, the next passage, which is John chapter 17. Yes. Read John chapter 17. Jesus identifies God as his Father. Who does Jesus pray for? in John 17, and how is God our Father? How did Jesus teach you to pray? And I think we'll get to Matthew 6 in a minute. Yes. 
Once again, lots of vile passages. <laughs> I want, I, part of the other reason I do this is I want people to be digging into more and more Bible passages. And so uh, if you feel like there's too many Bible passages, there are never enough Bible passages. So <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm overdoing Amen. it on purpose. So. Okay, so uh, John chapter 17, high priestly prayer. Uh, this prayer is coming uh, at the end of Jesus' life. Um, he has, uh, or right before his crucifixion, uh, he has spent uh, the last uh, four chapters in the upper room of, in John teaching the disciples all sorts of wonderful things. He concludes his teaching, and then he offers this prayer in John chapter 17, just before he and the disciples uh, go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he is betrayed. And uh, we're not going to read the whole thing, but let me read a couple of selections here that are, that are kind of key for understanding the Father Almighty and his relationship to the Son. Uh, 17 verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these things, he lifted up his eyes to the heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So that's verses 1 through 5 of chapter 17. And you see here Jesus calling on God as his Father, and then identifying himself as the one whom he has sent, and then also uh, connecting himself with God before the creation of the world. As we see in John chapter 1, which says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Jesus is identifying himself as true God of true God, as we say in the Nicene Creed, right? True God of true God, begotten the Father from all eternity. This is, all of this is coming here at the, at the forefront of this passage. And then he's asking, glorify me as I have glorified you. Now in John, when Jesus asks to be glorified, he's actually pointing to something that we would not uh, imagine as glory. He's actually pointing to the cross. Uh, and he's saying, uh, glorify me in the cross, because in, a, in the theology of the cross and this kind of, uh, for what seems backwards to us, the glory of Jesus in John is when he's dying on the cross, redeeming the world, okay? So this is what's happening here at the beginning. And then he goes through, he, he then prays for uh, the apostles whom he kept in, in God's name and whom he preserved. And then he also prays in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, in reference to the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And then he continues on. In other words, he's also praying for those who believe on account of what the apostles preached and proclaimed and wrote down for us. He's actually praying for you, dear child of God, like those of us who belong in the church today. He is praying for all Christians of all time now, uh, that they would be preserved through the proclamation of this word. And this is where then the idea of the Father Almighty comes down to us, because by this, by his suffering and death, and, and as we receive this in baptism and the preaching of his word, as we become his children, uh, or we become uh, uh, Christians, we are incorporated into this family, and now we can also pray our Father, as Jesus teaches us, right alongside Jesus, as he prays to the Father, so also now we can pray to this Father Almighty, who is now our Father in Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 6. That's the reference there, uh, 6, 9 through 13, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaching us to pray to his Father as, as, as also he is our Father. All right. Question four. We ready? Let's do it. All right. Maker of heaven and <laughs> earth. Uh, we may need to summarize <laughs> some here. 
Um, I don't think we're going to be able to read through all of Genesis 1 and 2 today. Uh, um, uh, so maker of heaven and earth, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and Colossians 1, 16. How did God create all things? And then uh, Job chapters 38 through 41. Um, how, therefore, does mankind relate to God as creator? So, uh, yeah, a little bit of summary here. Uh, God begins, uh, there, you know, in, in the beginning, uh, uh, God made the heavens and the earth. And then we have at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creating. And he, he creates by speaking. He's, God says, let there be light. So he creates all things by his word. And we see him speaking all throughout uh, those first two chapters and creating things, speaking them into existence. Now, uh, you can read that in John or in Genesis one two. John chapters one through or chapter one verses one through fourteen. We see John kind of summarizing this, and we'll read a little bit of this passage um, to kind of get a flavor for what this means. So, John chapter one verses one through fourteen are portions of that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, so we have here the Word, who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Um, even though we speak of God the Father as Creator, He creates through the Son, through His Word. So even though we have these distinctions in the articles of the Creed, we still see that the, all three persons of the Trinity are actually involved in the creation of the world, right? You have the Father speaking, you have the Son, the Son there as the Word through whom all things were made, and you have the Holy Spirit, if we actually jump back to Genesis chapter 1, you have the Spirit hovering over the waters, right? So giving life. So you have all three active here, um, and it is all, all created then through the Son, through the Word. Okay, and you see this uh, also in Colossians chapter one verse sixteen. Some s similar here, where the the word the world is created through the word. Now, the reason I bring up John chapter or Job chapter thirty eight to forty one is to talk about uh, how mankind uh, lives in relation to God as a consequence of the fact that God is creator. And what's interesting here is reading. Uh, reading what God says to Job. So the idea of Job is um, he's an upright man. God uh, 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 takes everything away from Job. He loses his family, loses everything. And then he's got these three really horrible friends that basically just tell him all sorts of false stuff. And at the end, Job is starting to doubt. He's, he's actually uh, being somewhat arrogant toward God and saying, answer me, why are you letting this be, right? And then God answers Job. And here's what God says. I'll just read a, uh, I won't read all four verses or four, three or four chapters. We'll just read <laughs> a few sections here. Okay. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. And then he addresses Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cor cornerstones? When the, star, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. In other words, God is saying to Job, what right do you have to question me? And this, this really is, as we look at creation and all that God has done, we have no right to question who God is and what he has done. He made us. 
Uh, and and we must learn, like Job did uh, later on in, in uh, Job chapter 40 and then 41, to repent, to confess and repent. After God continued to chastise, and Job finally uh, says, he says, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. In the end, when we look at what God has made, it should leave us absolutely stunned uh, that that we even exist, uh, and and uh, leads us to repentance, and and then this will eventually lead us into the second article of the creed, where we learn of uh, Jesus' work and the forgiveness that He's won for us. But experiencing creation as pure creation is always law; it's always an experience of law, never gospel. Uh, God only reveals His mercy to us and His forgiveness to us in in His Word. So then building on to that, and we have about a minute left for this last question. Uh, read Genesis 2, which we've already covered a bit. How did God create mankind? Or how did God make mankind? How was mankind special? So uh, Genesis chapter 2, God creates man by taking dust of the earth, and then he forms the man out of the dust of the earth, and he breathes into man the breath of life and creates man. So from from the, the, the other creatures, God calls them into existence, speaks them into existence. Man, he forms with his hands, uh, gets in the dust, and breathes them in, and breathes into them life. And then he says, let us make man in our own image. And so we are made in this image of God, uh, holy and perfect originally, uh, before the fall into sin. Uh, but then I think the key thing here is to we were made to be in relationship with God. And it was Adam and Eve's sin that broke that relationship. Hmm. Wow, we rushed right through that, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot there. I think we can get more of that on on the second article. So that's right. Yeah, that's true. And 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 that's where we'll we'll head next month. Is that right? That's correct. Wow, so much to pack in. I feel like we need about four hours really to unpack this. I we think, could do uh, that. Can, can you guys do that? <laughs> we can. We can do the special edition. Yeah. yeah. Why not? There we go. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Askins, for uh, joining us on the Coffee Hour, working through searching the scriptures. And to uh, the listeners, I hope that this is helpful uh, as you're working through this. We've gotten several emails and uh, certainly appreciate those emails. If you have more questions uh, or, or want to give us some feedback on searching the scriptures, you can email us coffee at kfuo.org. And that comes to uh, to myself and to Sarah. And we'll get to see your, your comments there. Pastor Askins, thanks so much for being our guest on the Coffee Hour today. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golson. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Oh, 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 o